the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the wave of sin is passed away.
Go ahead and take your stomachs and turn to page 407. teenagers interested in being ushers more often is if we went back to the way they used to do it. Ushers used to have a stick, and one end was a feather, one end was a knob. You know what it was for? Somebody was sleeping, the men, they'd wrap them on the head with the knob. The ladies were sleeping, they used the feather, and they'd tickle them awake. Would you guys enjoy that? Stay back to the whole service of waking up people? Should we bring that back, Pastor? <laughs> I don't know how God hangs the world on nothing Or how he keeps the planet each in place I cannot count the sands upon the seashore Nor can I count the stars that float in space But God can do what seems impossible tonight for the Lord. Please take your Bibles, if you will, please, and go with me to 1 Samuel tonight, please, 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel 14 this evening, please. As we continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel, last week we saw King Saul commanded his soldiers not to eat anything until the sun had set. And they took an oath to obey his command. All of his soldiers did follow through and uh, refrain from eating anything except Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. They were not present to hear uh, King Saul um, make his declaration, give his command. Uh, Jonathan, as we saw, um, did see some flowing honey in the woods like the others saw, not knowing that his father had given his command. He ate a little bit of the honey. And uh, we were told that immediately he received uh, some new strength. His eyes were enlightened. He was invigorated. And uh, as the, his friends there told him, I'm, you, your dad said we can't do that. We all took an oath. We would not eat anything. He said, I didn't know anything about that. But he said, my dad has troubled Israel. 
He said, if, if, my, if my father had not given that command, he said, we, we could have had a, a greater victory than, than we've had. We could have won a greater victory. We'd have just eaten some food. If all of you guys had just eaten some food, you'd been a lot stronger. We could have won a greater victory. We ended up last time in verse 31, the first part of 31. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon. I think that before we go on in the last part of the verse and finish out the chapter tonight, that um, we need to agree together that because of the victory that they won, the, the, Lord, the Lord did that. The hand of the Lord did that. When you think about what we've already seen in this chapter, that we had about 600 Israelite soldiers and so many Philistine soldiers that the Bible says they were like the sand of the sea in multitude. They had thousands of chariots and thousands of horsemen, which the Israelites did not have. Uh, we're told that they had swords and spears. They had tools, to, uh, instruments with which to fight. And we're also told, remember, that the Israelites had nothing except Jonathan and uh, Saul. They had, a, they had a sword. They had a spear. That's it. And so we saw clearly that the Israelites were the, were the underdog for sure and the Philistines were the, by far the favorite, the, 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 the favorite, all right, the favorite to win. And yet we see what God did here. I mean, there's no way that the Israelites could have won that battle. There's no way that the Philistines, uh, you know, when you think about the Philistines in total panic, killing each other by the hundreds and probably thousands, we have to, we have to agree that that was the hand of the Lord. When you think of all these Philistines running for their lives and, and, the, and the Israelites pursuing them, those few hundred Israelites pursuing these thousands and thousands of Philistine soldiers with the soldiers having the weapons and the Israelites no weapons, I mean, you have to say the hand of the Lord was at work. Only God could do that. And I want to remind you tonight that in these days in which we live, we need to remember a story like this. I mean, I've said it often and I say it again tonight. Conservative, Bible-believing, fundamental Christians are not in the majority. Would you agree with that? And it's not getting any better. I'm not trying to be pessimistic and negative. I'm just telling you the truth. With every passing day, if you're not careful, you can get a little bit more and more discouraged about what in the world is going on in the world and what's going on in our country. You don't see people promoting the Bible. You don't see decisions being made according to the scriptures. All the new policies and laws and so forth, all these things come on. It's like, you know, where is God in all this? Where's the word of God? Where is there any consideration for the Bible? And if we're not careful, we can become discouraged. We can become very fearful. We can become depressed and we can come to the place to say, you know, what's the use? I, I can't tell you how many times during every single week, someplace, I bow my head and I say, Heavenly Father, you know, this world's against us. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Seems like there's, like there's no hope or little hope. Like it's just a helpless situation. And all the things that we deal with today in Christianity... Even in our churches, in our good churches, it's like, what in the world is going on? And I keep reminding myself, the Lord still is on the throne. And what he did back there in 1 Samuel, he can still do today. 
Isn't that exactly what, 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 what Jonathan said? Remember back in verse 6, and Jonathan said to his armor bearer, the young man that bear his armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these, these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And I don't know when, but I wrote my Bible in capital letters with an exclamation point behind it, amen. And I have to remind myself of that because as the number of true believers shrinks, and then as the number of true believers, or even Christians who live by the word of God, as that number shrinks, it's like, what in the world? And I remember, listen, God is still in control, and he can save, and we will have to just say, you know, the Lord did that. I still believe that we can have revival in our country, that we can have revival in our churches, that we can have revival in our homes. And it's stories like this that encourage us to keep thinking like that. Now we come to the end of verse 31. So we read verse 31, And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, and the people were very, very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil. What spoil? All that was left because of the fleeing Philistines. Their stuff, whatever they had, all the animals. Philistines running for their lives. And here's these soldiers of Saul. The people flew upon the spoil, and they took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, in that they eat with the blood. And he said, You have, you have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. Could we just stop for just a moment, please? I mean, what you have here is, is God had commanded his people, the Israelites, to drain the blood out of the meat before they ate. You know that. In fact, it would be worth our time. Go back. Keep your finger here, please. Go to, go to Leviticus 17. We're not going to a lot of other passages tonight, but just a couple. But let's go to Leviticus 17. Verses 10 through 14. Keep this law in mind now as you read our story again tonight. And whatsoever man there be all of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among the people. Why? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. Whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast, or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dirt or with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall eat the blood and of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood, is the blood thereof, whosoever eateth it shall be what, folks? Cut off, which means he's gonna die. Now, that was God's law, but it didn't really just start there. Let me read Genesis 9, verses 3 and 4. This is right after the flood when Noah and his family came out of the ark. 
And now they were going to start all over again. God said, every living thing that moveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So the Israelites here did what God had told them that they should never do. They broke not Saul's command now. They obeyed Saul's command not to eat anything before the sun set. But now, after the sun has set, these guys are going bananas. I mean, they're going frantic. I mean, they just see whatever they see. They grab it, they kill it, and they just start eating. That was a violation of God's command, not Saul's command. So somebody asked the question, said, well, listen, is this their fault? I mean... Some say it wasn't their fault. They were not responsible for their actions. They were innocent. Saul's the one who should be blamed because Saul put this unnecessary, wrongful restriction on them. And so what was he supposed to expect? What's anybody supposed to expect when these guys are very faint, feel like they're ready to pass out, someone probably like they're starving to death, and all of a sudden, here's all this stuff, and the, the sun has set, and they just start grabbing animals and killing animals and making up for lost time. And somebody says, yeah, they're, they're really innocent. It's really not their fault. It's Saul's fault. And I want to say tonight, clearly, that is not right. Every person is responsible for his own sin. And we live in a day and age in in which more and more it seems to be more convenient for everybody to blame somebody else for their sin. You know, it's really not their fault. It's somebody else's fault. I believe I know of some situations where pastors, missionaries, Christian college or Christian school, teachers, administration, faculty, staff, perhaps parents, have maybe been a little too unreasonable in their standards or their rules or restrictions or policies. By the way, not many. If somebody would ever say to me, do you think most parents are too lenient or too strict? What would be my answer? I believe most parents are too lenient by far. But every once in a while, through all my years of ministry, I have noticed some parents, not many, who I think were a little stricter than they had to be. Maybe a little unreasonable. Maybe they went a little further than they really needed to. I think I've met some pastors who went perhaps a little further than necessary. Could have pulled back a little bit. Or some Christian school teachers or principals or Christian college professors, presidents. Not many, but there have been some I thought, oh, is that really, was that really necessary? Is that really biblically based? Did we have to do that? And every once in a while when that situation like that develops, somebody, some student or some child, somebody, some member of a church, they, they go a little overboard. And they do things that they really should not do. Maybe the things that they were restricted from doing, they were told not to do. Usually it's other things. And sometimes it's worse things. And I can't tell you how many times people have taken the attitude, well, it's not their fault. You can't blame those students. Got to blame the school. Got to blame the leaders of the school because they're too strict. It's really not those teenagers' fault. It's not those children. It's not those people in church's fault. No, it's the pastor's fault because he goes a little too far with things, you know, so he caused all that. 
You, know, you really can't blame those children. I mean, that's like mom and dad. They're just a little bit too strict, you know. So, you know, mom and dad are bad. The pastors are bad. The Christian school principals are bad. And the Christian college professors and presidents, they're bad. And all the people are good because, you know, what do you expect? Because they were kind of held down. And so they went, when the thumb came off a little bit, they just went wild. You know, when they graduated, they went wild. When they got out of the home, they went bananas. They just let, you know, so I... Bad mom, bad dad, bad pastor, bad professor, bad everybody. You gotta, you gotta, gotta understand people when they finally just got. I said, you know, we're gone. I think that's wrong. I really think that's wrong. Everybody's responsible for their own decisions, and everybody's responsible for their leadership, and everybody's responsible for their fellowship. And so we have men here, soldiers, who are absolutely disobeying God, not the king. They're disobeying God. And I believe we should not take the attitude here. Look, the problem was Saul. Saul was wrong. The people were fine. You can't blame them. They're innocent because they're desperate. Uh, the fact is they were desperate. But we do not believe in what is called, it's an old term. Everybody heard the term situation ethics. Is that new? You heard that before? What is situation ethics? Situation ethics is basically, you know, you really can't, just say this is right and this is wrong and this is right and this is wrong. You know, the, the absolutes, the rights and wrongs. You've got to be careful here because, you know, every situation is a little different. If, if a man's in the military and he's overseas for like a year and a half or for duty and he, he can't be back home, you have to understand when he's away from his wife, I mean, men are going to do what men want to do. And so, you know, he, you have to expect he might be a little unfaithful because he's been gone for so long. That doesn't change a thing. Amen? Doesn't matter if he's home all that time. Doesn't matter where he is. It's the fact that he's married and the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. You have all these different situations. There's a verse in Proverbs. I think we can find it. Go to Proverbs 30. I think it's in Proverbs 30. Would you go to Proverbs 30 for just a minute? Proverbs 30. I hope I'm right. Proverbs 30. Yeah, let's look at verses 7, 8, and 9 for just a moment. Proverbs 37, 8, and 9. Two things. If I remember correctly, this was not written by Solomon. Yes, this is the words of Agur. Okay, this is not Solomon. This is the words of Agur. Listen to what he says. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. This is his prayer request here to God, okay? Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Number one, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Do you understand what he's saying here? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will not make me extremely wealthy because I might be tempted to forget you. Seems like the more wealth some people get, the less they think they need God. They're, all, they're fine now. They don't need God. So who is the Lord? He said, Lord, God, please don't give me so much that I get full and, and I don't even act like I know you. I say, who is the Lord? I don't need him. But he also says, oh, Father, please do not make me so poor. So poor, so poverty stricken that I might be, I might be tempted to steal. So many people say, well, you know, hey, listen, if the guy's that poor, you have to understand. 
feels like he's going to starve to death. I mean, you say, you know, it's not his fault. He's going he's to steal something out of the 7-Eleven. You know, he's going to steal something out of Walmart or whatever else. It's like, you know, what do you expect? No, sin is sin. And, 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 and poverty doesn't change that. So it's not like, well, now this would be sin for most people, but if you're really, really desperate, then it's okay to steal a couple things. No, it doesn't make it right. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. So go back to our text tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 14. So what about Saul? Was Saul's response to the news he received good or bad? You say, what response? Verse 33, then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord in that they eat with the blood. And he said, You have transgressed. Roll a great stone, a stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox and every man his sheep and slay them here and eat. Sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and they slew them. So was that good or was that bad? Was Saul's response good or bad? And once again, as I said last week, men are divided in this. Wish I didn't have to say that, but I do. Some say it was bad. I mean, even Saul saying, look, stop. Don't keep doing these sins. Bring me the animals and bring a stone and, and we'll, we'll do this thing right. Some say, yeah, that, that's, that's not a good thing. What would be wrong with that? Well, here's Saul again trying to impress the people. Saul trying to promote himself as this godly leader that they should follow. That's what some say. I don't necessarily agree with that. Some others say, no, it was bad because, you know, here, what probably happened was because he had offered a sacrifice back there in chapter 13 and Samuel said, God has said that you're not going to, your family's not going to, you know, keep the kingdom and, and you're not going to be a king for long and somebody's going to come and take your place, man, after God's own heart. That from that point on, they say, if you really study Saul, what you're going to see is several times he's doing things to impress God. It's like maybe God will change his mind. All these people out here doing this terrible thing, eating this, this food with the blood, and so it's time for me to step up and be the right kind of leader and say, look, bring the stone, we'll have a stone here, bring your animals, we'll do this thing right. You can't keep sinning against God. It's like Saul saying, God, are you watching? Because you know, I, maybe you could change your mind about what you said. Some say he really was doing a bad thing for that reason, trying to impress God. Others say, look, Saul did a good thing. He wasn't all bad. He had some good traits while he had some bad traits. He exercised and showed forth some good leadership at times and some poor leadership at other times. You know, nobody's perfect all the time. We're not always all bad or all good. And they say in Saul, you see good and bad. I read someplace this week, I can't remember where, I think it was in a pulpit commentary, where somebody said that he believed that Saul's intentions and his motives were good. He didn't always use wise judgment in how he carried out what he wanted, how he felt in his heart. And I read that and I thought, you know, that really could be true, that his intentions, his motives were good, but he didn't always use good judgment in carrying out things. It's hard to criticize Saul here for what he did. Well, the main thing tonight I want to say is, well, how about us? You know, we, we keep evaluating Saul. What about us? Uh, if it's true that Saul had some good traits and some bad traits, then that would be true of all of us. Amen? Sometimes our, our greatest weaknesses become our greatest strengths. 
and vice versa. Sometimes our greatest strengths can be, become our weaknesses. So my question tonight is, again, by way of application, you know, are we willing to evaluate ourselves before the Lord and say, Heavenly Father, would you show me, show me by your grace, please, show me my good traits and may, may they be stronger, may, I be, may they be strengthened for your glory. And Father, show me my weaknesses. Show me the things that, that I don't know about myself. You know, they say we all have our own blind spots. Well, Heavenly Father, whatever my weaknesses are, Whatever my blind spots are, I, I don't want my, anything about me to hinder my service for you. So, Father, show me. I want to I work on those things. By your grace, I want those things to be changed. Do we have that kind of heart? Well, look at verses 36 and 37. Let's keep on going here. Verse, let's do a, start at 35. So Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was, first, was the first altar that he built unto the Lord, which would imply, of course, that he built other altars. Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither to God. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him, Not that day. So we have Saul again saying, Let's, let's go finish the job. Let's go. I mean, okay, everybody's eating. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's finish the job. Let's go chase the Philistines and let's, let's destroy every single one of them. Say, so was that good or bad? Well, once again, everybody doesn't agree. Some say that was... Uh, that was, that was a good thing to do. Because when the Israelites had entered the land of Canaan, that's what God told them to do. When you get into the land of Canaan, these are your spiritual enemies. They're the ones who are steeped in idolatry and wickedness, and they, they need to be destroyed. Destroy them. We'll see this next week, or in, in either next week or the following week, in, in chapter 15. God has said, you know, kill, slay them all. And so Saul is simply saying, look, we need to do what God has told us to do. And there, as I mentioned last week, there's some who are saying that's why he said no food because we got to finish the job. We need later. God will give us the strength. I'm not saying that's true, but I'm saying here there are some who say that, that, this, was, that this was a good thing. Now Saul saying, hey, look, we just need to do what God commanded us to do. Now, if his action is right here, if, that's, if that is correct, then I have a question too. Is that true of me? Is that true of you? Is that why we do what we do? Do we do, when, no matter what mothers, others might think about us, whether they think we're right or wrong, you and I, we should know our motives. We should know our heart. We should know our desires. We should know our... The question is, am I a person that has the attitude, whatever I find in the Bible, I will seek to obey? If there are things in the Bible that says that I should do, I want to do those things. Whatever is in the Bible where God says you should not do, I don't want to touch, I don't want to do those things. But I want to obey the word of God. I want to live by the Bible. That ought to be the heart, the mind, the soul, the passion of every true believer. Heavenly Father, what will thou have me to do? Like David said, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? O oh Lord, he says, let me not wander from thy commandments. 
Again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, consider him, and he will direct your paths. Psalm 37, verse what, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, there's this hard attitude of a believer. Listen, I want to do what's right, and I want to not do what's wrong. I want to follow God's will for my life. And so whether Saul was always right or always wrong or whatever his good traits or bad traits and so forth, what he does here, listen, if his attitude is, look, what God has told us to do in Canaan, and it's time we start doing what God has said, let's go. We got work to do. Let's chase them and kill every one of them. Then my question is, do we, do we live like that? Others say, no, Saul was wrong here. Did a bad thing. What's wrong with what he did? Well, it's typical Saul. They say just barging ahead. No, no, no mention of God. No, let's pray about this. It's just like we got a job to do. What are we doing here sitting around here? I mean, let's go. We're wasting time. Let's get on with it. And they say, yeah, that's typical Saul. You know, like once again, trying to impress the leader. What a great leader he is, a spiritual giant. You know, we're going to go finish the job for God here. They say it was a bad thing that he did. And they say it's the reason they believe it's bad is because of, did you notice, please, back in verse um, 36, and Saul said, let us go down at the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatsoever they seem good. I mean, they, they, the, the typical soldiers, they go, well, we're with you, Saul. You see, they're all through the chapter so far. We're with you, we're with you. And then you come to the last part of the verse. Then said the priest, let us draw near hither to God. And Saul asked counsel of God. So somebody says, why did the priest have to step up and suggest that? Why did the priest say, listen, well, excuse me, hold on, not, not so fast, Saul. I mean, there's, there's something here that we are forgetting. Have you talked to God about it? Have you sought the mind of the Lord? I mean, if, if it's God's will, if it's God's plan, then yeah, let's go and God will bless us. He'll, he'll give us the victory. But if it's, if it's not the will of God, then we don't want to be going on. Listen, Saul, uh, you forgot prayer time. So the priest has to step in and say, listen, uh, I think we're going a little bit too fast here. I'm, I'm with you, you know, but I still think we need to ask God. And Saul says, you know, good idea. So let, let's find out what God's will is here. So again, whether that's right or wrong in Saul, whether that's, we don't know. We don't, we're not told. Well, all we know is that's the story. Was that a good trait or a bad trait? Good trait, let's go. God has told us what to do, let's get it done. Don't have to pray about that. We know what God's will is. No, bad trait, no, you should stop and ask God anyway. So, you know, whatever side you want is, how about us? We're not King Saul. <laughs> You're you and I'm me. Do we pray about our decisions? Major decisions, minor decisions, little decisions. And by the way, I think most of our decisions that we make, our choices are more important than we think. I, when I was a youth pastor, I used to try, with God's help, I tried to drill this into young people. Sometimes we get thinking, you know, I got some major decisions to make. Like what? Well, what am I going to do when I graduate from high school? What grade are you in now? Ninth grade. Well, you got the rest of ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. You, know, you, got, you got three and a half years. But I mean, is that an important question? What am I going to do when I got to high school? Is that an important question? Yes or no? That's a very important question. You'd be praying about that, of course. So that's a major decision. What am I going to do when I graduate from high school? Question, am I going to go to college? 
That's a big question. If I go to college, which college am I going to go to? If I go to a good college, what am I going to major in? What does God, you know, for little children, what does God want you to be when you grow up, you know? So you're going to get out of high school. Maybe you're going to go to college. Maybe you're going to go in the military. Maybe you're going to get a job. What job? Why a job? What are you going to be? I mean, what's your career? And then, oh, you're going to get married? And all these, and so we got these big, you know, five major questions. And I used to tell the young people, hey, listen, I don't downplay any of those. Those are all major decisions, major questions. But I'm telling you, your life, your life is not going to be based on those five things. Your life is going to be on, based on what do you do while you're in school all day long? What are you going to do when you get out of school at night? What are you going to do after Friday when you got the weekend? What are you going to, how are you going to spend your Saturdays? What are you going to do on Sunday? Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Sunday night after church, and then back to Monday. How are you going to live your life right now? Are you willing right now to do everything that you know? Have you made it in your mind? You are going to live by the Bible right now. And all of the, the little things of life that people don't even think are too important. Like a little simple thing, children's night here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen? Can we all say that together? Boys and girls, young people, adults. I mean, now the adults, you're probably going to scream it out in the little kill. I don't think I know those verses, okay? Try together, please. Ready? Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you know the next verse? Honor thy father and thy mother. Whoa. See, if you're five years old or seven years old or nine years old or 16 years old, right now the big deal is, what are you going to do when you graduate from high school? You're going to go to college? You're going to work? You're going to join the military? You're going to get married someday? What, what are you going to be when you grow up? That's not a big deal when you're 7 years old or 16 years old. The big deal right now is, are you obeying your parents? Are you obeying, are you honoring your parents? Those are major decisions, and those little decisions like that, they're not as little as we think. All those typical things that seem so mundane, so no big deal, you know, hey, I got four hours free this afternoon. What am I going to do with my spare time? That's a big deal. You're going to waste four hours? You're going to use it for the Lord. In some way, what do you... It's living your life every moment. Those are the big decisions. And listen, if we would pray more and more about the little things and take care of the little things, you'd be surprised how easy the big things are in finding out God's will. So some say Saul did a good thing. Followed the Lord. Let's go. God has already told us what to do. Let's go finish the job. And others say, no, got a weakness here because he wasn't willing. He didn't stop and pray about it. First, typical Saul, he's on the go, you know, just barging ahead. Well, let's keep on reading. Verse 37, and Saul asked counsel of God. Shall they go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? Notice, please, God goes silent on Saul, and he answered him not that day. Now, how's Saul going to respond? What's he going to do? And Saul said, draw ye near hither all the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Nobody said a word. They, they went silent. God had gone silent on Saul, and now all the people, it, they, it, everybody's quiet. Then said he unto all Israel, 
Be ye on one side, and I and Jonathan will be, and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, Do what seemeth good unto thee. Whatever you say, that's fine. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand. And lo, now you talk about a submissive, tender attitude. Look at this. Lo, I must die. I deserve to die. And Saul answered, look what he says. God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Could we stop for just a moment? And we're only going to look at one more verse tonight. We'll close with verse 45, okay? But listen carefully. So here we go again. Got another problem. Saul, according to the, following the advice of the priests, he asked through the priests, he asked for God's will to be known. God's will to be shown, and God doesn't answer. And Saul says, got a problem here. Is silent. That's a bad sign. That means that there's got to be some sin in the camp that's got to be dealt with. Because in order for God to hear us anymore as we call out to him, and as, in order for us to go for, from going forward from here, we're, we're not going to have our fellowship with God has been broken. It's, it's like something has come between us and God. And we've got to have to figure this out. We've got to take care of this because we can't even get God to listen and answer our prayers, let alone give us victory. So we need to cast lots and, and find out what's happening. And somebody says, yeah, that's a really bad thing. You should have never done that. From all the way to all the, no, all bad. Somebody else says, no, there's really nothing wrong with what he did. And perhaps he had his mind back in a story back in, was it Joshua chapter 7, I think? What was the first city that the Israelites conquered when they went into Canaan? Out loud, please, first city. Jericho. Great victory, right? All the walls fell down flat. I mean, it's done deal. What's the next little town they went to? Ai, Ai, Ai. Big town, middle-sized town, small town, what? Small, really small. How small? The leaders say, listen, Joshua, please, please. We were kind of bored, you know, when we took over Jericho. There, you know, it wasn't much for us to do. It was just like a piece of cake job, you know. And that was a huge city with walls up to heaven and so forth. And I was like, you know, have you seen Ai? You know anything about Ai? It's just like this little bitty rinky-dink town. I mean, hey, listen, we, we, don't, we just need a few guys, okay, just, just a few hundred soldiers. And so they go to Ai, and the Israelites get blown away. They lose. And they go back to the camp and they say, we got a problem here. We got, we, our soldiers are killed. They got, they're dead. AI, AI won the battle. And, so, and Joshua says, that indicates we have a problem. We've lost the blessing of our God. And we have a lot of work to do yet in Canaan. We've got a lot of unfinished business. I mean, this is just town number two. And we have lost the help of our God. We need to find out what's going on here. There's got to be some sin. And you know the story. And who was found to be guilty? Out loud, Achan. What did he do? Stole, took some of the things in Jericho. 
took some garments, took a wedge of silver, took a gold, I believe, whatever, and took him back to his tent and hit him under the floor of his tent. Had to be dealt with. And somebody says, that's, that's, that's undoubtedly what Saul had in mind. Did a good thing. He really did. He really meant well. He did a good thing. Others say, well, when you look at what really happened here, how can it be good? Don't you think he's a little rash? Maybe he went a little overboard to say, okay, whoever did this, you're going to die, including my son. Somebody else says, no, that's, that, was, that was a good thing because he, was, he, was, he, wasn't being, he wasn't showing partiality. I mean, like, you know, we're all in this thing together, and I don't play favorites here. So even if it's my own son, he's going to have to pay the price. He's going to have to die. They say, no. Uh, when you read this, you think, you know, Saul, Saul probably had some idea that it probably was Jonathan, you know, because Jonathan wasn't there. He had disappeared, and now he'd come on the scene, and he took the honey. And somebody says, yeah, this is so typical. Just study the life of Saul. He's already getting a little jealous of Jonathan. Because while he and his soldiers were sitting by, Jonathan and his armor bearer went and wiped out a garrison of Philistines and got the whole thing going. So like, uh, you got to be careful, this guy's my son. But, you know, and then I also, somebody says, yeah. Then he also, he, he told all the soldiers, you know, my dad, my dad did a bad thing. My dad has troubled Israel. If my dad had not made that decision and been so unreasonable, we could have had a huge, huge, we could have had a whole lot bigger victory than we had. I mean, what do you call that? Is that being a little divisive? Is that turning soldiers against your father? Somebody says, Jonathan should have never did that. Others say, no, that was the right thing to do. He's just, he's just telling the truth, okay? So you get into all these, what about, what about, what about, what about? I don't know, but I know one thing. We do see one thing here that we hadn't seen before. Would you look, please, at verse 45? And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. And look at this phrase, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Then Saul went up from following after the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. If you want, we're not going to take time to go back, but if you would go back, through this whole chapter, how many times have we read that all of the people are going to say soldiers? How, how many times have we read all of the soldiers obeyed Saul? All the soldiers agreed. Say, whatever you say, we're with you, we will follow you. That's all through this chapter until you come right to the end. And then these men say, excuse me, we can't be silent any longer. Jonathan, has, he's been working with God. He won a victory with the hand of God upon him. And he wasn't there when you gave the command. We cannot stand by and watch Jonathan die. He will not die. Which would seem to indicate that Saul was in the wrong. He was not being reasonable. And God, through the soldiers, said, enough is enough here. Would you bow your heads, please, tonight? We don't know why Saul always did what he did. We don't know why he always decided what he decided. And why he said what he said. Does it appear that he perhaps was a little too unreasonable? Was he a little rash? Did he use poor judgment? 
Did he go too far further than he really had to go? It would seem so. Was all bad with Jonathan? With Saul, rather? Any good traits? Any possibility that he did have a desire to please his God? I wrote probably, I don't know how long, the Bible that I studied out of this week's the Bible that I've used for, for preaching until just a few months ago. I've used it for over 30 years. It doesn't, won't stay together anymore. I've had that Bible now for over 30 years. And in this passage of Scripture, I don't know when, but I wrote in the margin, I wrote in the center margin, I wrote something like this. Saul was a great military leader, but he had no relationship with his God. Because we didn't take time to read, but the next couple of verses say how successful Saul was in helping Israel defeat their enemies to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. God used him. And I wrote in my Bible, God, Saul was a great military leader, but he had no relationship with God. And as I studied this thought the last few weeks for the message again tonight, I thought, how do I know that's really true? I don't. Saul must have had some times when he had a great relationship with the Lord. So what about us tonight? That's the main thing. We don't know Saul's mind. We don't know his motives. We don't know his heart. Do we see problems? Yes, we do. Do they get worse? Yes, they do. But let's forget about Saul for just a moment here, please, and let's think about ourselves as we close tonight. What are our motives? Why do we decide what we decide? Why do we say what we say? Why do we do what we do? Do we have a right relationship with the Lord? Are we trying to know His will and follow it? Is the passion of our soul, I want to bring glory to my Christ who died for my wretched soul. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Say, praise the Lord. I would be condemned and on the way to hell with no escape. But Jesus Christ willingly died for my sins. He rose again, conquered sin and death and judgment in hell that I could be forgiven of my sins and I could have eternal life. I owe everything to him. So now in my, in my being, my question is, Jesus, how can I show my loyalty, my love, my appreciation for who you are and what you've done for me? And then the answer comes back, learn my word, the scriptures, and love them and obey them and share them with others. You say, that's me. That's why I, that's, that's why I exist, to honor the Lord. Let's stand together, please, tonight. Would you talk with the Lord about that this evening just before we have just a very brief business meeting tonight? I mentioned this morning, probably five minutes. Quick meeting tonight. No reason to leave. It'll be short, okay? But while our pianist plays a verse or two of a song, would you talk with the Lord about the message tonight? Just talk with the Lord. If there's something that you know is wrong, you need to confess. Do it right now. Get it right. Don't wait till you get home tonight.
If you need the Lord's help with something, you say, you know, I, I, I know my heart is right, my desires are right, but I just have a problem with this. I just can't seem to fix this, and I, I need God. Okay, then just ask him. Be really specific, if you will, tonight. As our pianist plays, let's just all have a, just a few moments of prayer and talk with the Lord. Again, I'll be down in front. If I can help you, you're welcome to come and see me. Just one more verse, please. What did the people say about Jonathan? They said, Saul, he's not going to die. Not one hair of his head's going to fall out because he has wrought with God this day. He's God's companion. He's God's co-laborer. He's obviously on the same team with God, and Jehovah is blessed what he's done. Could somebody say that about me? Could somebody say that about you? I don't know everything about him. I don't always understand her, but I know one thing. She's a companion of God. She is on God's side. God works in her and with her and through her. Gentlemen, can somebody say that about you? I don't understand him fully. Sometimes I feel like, no, he's missing something. And I say, you know, he's right on. I don't know. But I do know this. I do know this. He is a co-laborer with God, and God is using him for his glory. That should be our prayer, our desire. Be seated, if you will, for just a couple of moments tonight.